your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM with me, Rick Solom, and on the phone today, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Tregoski, riding in on his Bronco. <laughs> riding into the weekend on Bronco's Bravado. Um, okay, so there's a lot on my plate today, and we, we have this like thread going, and I, you, you know, usually I. Uh, I, I sort the thread a little bit so that we can, you know, into bullet points. So at least I can, I can have some organization. Didn't do that today uh, because I was, I was reading Brad's story about um, now, which one is, which is it Tom Terry Workus? Tom's his dad, Terry Workus retiring from announcing halftime shows at UW lacrosse football games. I think anyone that, that, uh, Lives has lived here for a long time. No, of Tom and Terry Workus and you yourself. Uh, this is sad news to you, huh, Tregoski? It, it is really sad because Terry was one of the first people I interacted with at UW Lacrosse. He does information technology, tech support kind of stuff, and he set up my virtual Skype video conferencing, whatever you want to call it, interview with UWL when I was applying for the job. So he's one of the first faces I met here. Super nice guy. And I've been saying, I've been telling him that he needs to just make an audiobook. Like, he should go into audiobook narrating because he has the most soothing, relaxing voice I've ever heard. He does commencement ceremonies for UW Lacrosse. And as a faculty member, I actually look forward to going to the commencement ceremonies, even though it's just like a bunch of names being read. <laughs> I look forward to it because his voice is like so relaxing. It's like one of the most relaxing mornings of the year for me. So Terry will be greatly missed. I'm, I'm so sad to hear that tomorrow will be his last halftime show announcing at the UWL football game, and uh, he's apparently retiring from UWL next year. He will be sorely, sorely missed, and uh, just one of the great guys in the area, one of the great guys in uh, lacrosse. Yeah, he um, announcing, just doing that for 25 years seems crazy, but then his dad doing it for 25 years prior to that, uh, is pretty amazing. It, it looks like Brad, and I think Brad went to college with Terry, Brad Williams, who wrote the story and interviewed him. I think uh, I think at the end of their conversation, hey, Terry has a daughter, and they were trying to uh, to to, <laughs> to get the daughter to take over. And I don't know how I don't know how if that was you know if you listen to that conversation uh, between the two, it might have been more joking, but it is kind of an interesting uh, angle. You just need the Workus Dynasty to be announcing the Screaming Eagles marching band halftime shows at UWL football games, I think. Yeah. Okay, so now if if somebody ha- that has a soothing voice, I don't know if I don't know does that make you a good audiobook reader because and I say audio do I I say audio really weird. Mitch always used to yell at me about that. Um the uh, does that make you a a soothing voice? I don't know if that makes you a good audiobook reader because some of the audiobooks I read they do a little acting, and a lot of the audiobooks I read are like sci-fi sci-fi books where you know I don't want to be soothed. 
Probably depends on the genre, Rick. Like maybe Terry could read a self-help book, for example, and that would be a great one for him to read because you would be put at ease while you're getting pearls of wisdom from the self-help book. Yeah, and maybe not a legal thriller, though. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, there's every genre of book and anyone with any kind of voice, uh, except for maybe uh, that guy from Police Academy. Uh, I can't think of Zed or Ned. <laughs> Talk like that. Who's come out as like a huge liberal. If anyone has, has read about, he's come out. I've seen an article about him recently. It's like, oh, Zed from Police Academy. Uh, it's kind of funny to and just to think back. Do you, did you ever watch Police Academy? You know uh, no, I haven't. It's, uh, it's just like my, one of my dad's favorite. Like there's six or seven of them. Uh, just goofy movies about police and and uh, this guy, he talk like this the whole time. He's one of the cops. And, and like I never thought about it until I read this article. I was like, oh, he was acting. Because <laughs> like, that's the only thing I ever seen him in. As a, and as a kid, you know, just not ever, just not understanding, you know, life and acting. Uh, and then never thinking about it again. Because I never watched those movies again as a, even like an older teenager. Uh, and then I read that article, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Of course his voice isn't like that. Anyone who's listening that's seen Police Academy knows who I'm talking about. Um, all right, like, let's move on, because clearly you haven't seen it. I uh, <laughs> I want to do this segment. So you have uh, a baby on the way. Congratulations. And yes, I, I guess break, we're gonna let's break some news on Lacrosse Talk PM the, uh, today that my wife and I are expecting our first child. It's a girl. It's on the way. Arrival date this spring, and so we're super excited. And Rick, you and I were talking last week about how you know pregnancy brings with it some interesting cravings sometimes yeah. and we some, talk about we talk you know, about you wake up wake up at 1 a.m and craving something completely random i mean you say pregnancy i'll tell you one thing chagoski i wake up all the time and just be like mm, i'm gonna eat a jack's pizza right now that's what i'm gonna do uh the pandemic so pregnancy or being rick yeah or being i think i think well a lot of us so you know but the pregnancy cravings would be interesting so i i want to do this segment with you guys every week and and brianna i think is gone so she's gonna have to listen to this later and i have a lot of uh questions but i'll before we get into brianna's cravings i had this ponder i i pondered this 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 afternoon um as i saw this bag that that went that, that turned up it went missing for a while that i got from uh whatever it's halloween and i was like oh here they are mini kit kats i have a somebody gave me a bag of mini kit kats <laughs> And so I'm pounding mini Kit Kats today, and then I just thought to myself, how many mini Kit Kats can I eat before I really got to start feeling guilty about the fact that because if you eat a regular size or even a super size Kit Kat bar, you you're done. You eat one and you're done, and you feel a little guilty because you're like, I would eat another one of these if I could, but I'm not going to. I, I mean, is that right? Would you would you, do you have the same feeling when you eat a candy bar? You eat one, and then you're kind of like, I could eat two or three more of these, but I'm not a slob. Oh, I totally agree with that. I can go to town on a bag of those fun-sized candy bars. Yeah. So what's and the just like just like get just like totally annihilate it within a day or two. But if I get like a king-sized, 
Kit Kat candy bar, then I feel full. So maybe there's something psychologically going on there. Yeah, and and you feel like a little bit of a, you know, if your wife ate a king-size Kit Kat bar now, she'd be good because, hey, pregnant. But you yourself, if you eat one, you feel like a little bit of a pig because you're not, you're probably not supposed to. A regular size one, you're good. But how many minis can you eat before you really got to be like, okay, I am a total slob here? Because for me, it's unlimited because I'm not counting how many minis I'm eating. That's the thing, Rick. When you're eating the fun-sized mini candy bars, it's so easy to lose track of how many you've eaten. So I feel like you might even eat more candy in that form versus if you get the king-sized version. Yeah, I I definitely feel like this is a a thing that companies did. uh, Oh, we'll do this for trick-or-treating minis. But really, in the back of their head, they're like, "Uh, adults are going to eat these nonstop because (laughs) that's going to be their excuse. If it's a mini, it doesn't really count. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, it, it's like, it's like, well, it can't be that bad for me. It's a tiny little Kit Kat, but then like 30 mini Kit Kats later, how many king size Kit Kats does that add up to? Right, exactly. So uh, anyone out there who's got some uh, advice on how many mini Kit, Kit Kats or how many mini uh, fun size candy bars you can eat before you, you know, you should stop. Is it three, five, ten? Uh, do you not even think about it? Doesn't matter. Tummy ache. Let me know. Um, and we'll do the pregnancy cravings here a little, little bit later in the show. I got to take a break, but we want to talk about some of the comments Ron Johnson said, uh, perpetuating the investigation, election investigations, uh, you know, either for another year or two years or three years. Uh, and we've got a new congressional candidate in the race to replace Ron Kine. And we might get to the Rittenhouse judge, and then I have the uh, Michigan Attorney General uh, drinking at a football game a little too much, too. Uh, we'll be back with Dr. Anthony Chagoski, political science professor. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski on with me. We just did a show uh, during the break. That would have been a pretty good segment, I think, talking about presidential <laughs> candidates and Congressional candidates. Uh, uh, Gary Podesky sent me a joke about who uh, who would have a good voice uh, for halftime shows. Gary, I'm not I'm not even going to mention that name. I don't want to start anything, and uh, so but you can laugh. You we can giggle, me and you, just between the two of us. Uh, I won't I won't even tell Tragoski. Maybe I'll tell him later. Uh, you can just imagine who calls every day that Gary mentioned as maybe replacing. <laughs> I, 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 I already get where you're going with this. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll go up. And I have a lot of things on pregnancy now that you guys, how many months away are you expecting? How, many, how, how far out are we? Uh, about five and a half okay. months away. And we'll, we'll do this towards the end of the show because it's just goofy stuff. And um, <laughs> do we have a name yet? Are you going to do that? Can we announce the name when you get it on Lacrosse Talk PM? I, I can announce the name. I will tell you that there are two finalists. Uh, oh. I am not allowed currently for oh, white orders to uh, discuss, discuss anything further, but there are two finalists. And believe me, the Lacrosse Talk PM listeners will be the first to know once no, we make our final no, choice. No, you guys, before you make the final choice, let me know at some point, and we'll do a, a, we'll, we'll do a whole story on it, and we'll put a wisdom poll out there. <laughs> And we'll make, <laughs> we'll make the choice. 
We we should have the wisdom people poll decide the name yes, of our yes baby absolutely girl. call Hayes up uh, when you're on Hay- with Hayes Let's next tell Hayes him do it tell him Hayes needs to do the people's poll next time and and we can make it a Twitter poll as well Hayes doesn't put it on <laughs> see when I do the people's poll I make it a Twitter poll as well but sometimes I just forget how to do the people's poll and Hayes does that every day um, all right so pregnancy stuff I got a whole bunch of stuff at I and mean, we'll do it at the end of the show but. Um, obviously, we have a new congressional candidate running uh, for Ron Kine's seat as a Democrat. Deb McGrath, uh, she checks a lot of the boxes. Uh, a, a veteran, um, even I think somebody told me she was a higher rank than Derek Van Orden. So we even have a higher ranking veteran. Um, there was mention of farming in her bio, I believe. There was some uh, like her parents or her parents' parents were farmers. So we got to check that box. Uh, she has some government experience because she worked for the CIA, right? Uh, you know what? What did you think of Deb McGrath announcing? That, uh, is that out of the blue when this stuff happens? Are you kind of like some? Some of these are just surprising. And she so, has some history, right? Her dad was was it her dad that was running? Was the last Democrat before Ron Kind to run in this uh, district? That's correct, Rick. Her father Al Baldus was elected to serve this district in 1974. He was defeated in 1980, and then Ron Kind took the seat back for Democrats when he was elected. And, Rick, I do think that this is a very interesting development because now you have a bunch of people in the field, and that could make this race a little bit messy. We've talked about Brett Knutson, who's in the race. We've talked about Eau Claire business owner Rebecca Cook, who's in the race. And, of course, State Senator Brad Papp is in the race. And and then joining them, as we've mentioned, is retired CIA officer Deb McGrath, who, and I think you put it quite nicely, Rick, checks a lot of boxes, especially in terms of her national security experience, especially in terms of her chops when it comes to foreign relations. So I think that will no doubt be an emphasis of her campaign I think it remains to be seen how the other candidates will respond. Given her family background, given her government experience, I think it's fair to say that that Deb McGrath could be a very serious contender for the nomination. So this could be a kind of a situation where you have some really strong candidates duking it out, and uh, we end up with a very intriguing nomination fight for the Democratic nomination in the 3rd District. You say it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Well, we already know how one responded. They said it's another Pelosi <laughs> puppet. Derek Van Orden, the uh, Republican candidate, puts out the same press news release every time uh, somebody announces they're running for the Democratic side of the seat, and he just calls him a Pelosi puppet, which I thought was kind of a, you know, if, if you want to do that to, um, if you want to do that to PATH, you could because... In, in some way, shape, or form, because PATH has a lot of experience in politics. Could you even, could you make that, uh, the, the, could you make that connection there, Trigoski? Like, Yeah, I mean, in, in the sense that PATH has close ties to Governor Evers and Congressman Kind, I mean, we just saw uh, Brad PATH the other day at the La Crosse Airport with Congressman Kind touting the infrastructure bill, and of course, Congressman Kind has endorsed Brad PATH. But interestingly, that did not dissuade someone like Deb McGrath from getting in the race. Usually a big-time endorsement like Ron Kind endorsing Brad Paff would really shake up the field, but it seems like this is going to be a very unsettled and unpredictable field. 
No doubt, though, that Ron Kind is going to try to give the assist to Brad Paff. And as we noted, Brad Paff and Ron Kind have very close ties that go back a long way. Yeah, it just seems a little, dis- I don't know if disrespectful is that it may be just trolling. I think a, a lot of uh, politicians do a lot of trolling. But to, to call everybody a Pelosi puppet and just the same the same uh, news release every time somebody runs against you, uh, for whatever seat you're running for, just seems. And then this this woman has obviously spent a, a lifetime in the armed services. She's a veteran, and Derek Van Orden's a veteran. So you think there would be like some respect there? But no, no, no respect. I think it reflects the fact that Derek Van Orden is planning to run basically the same campaign, no matter who the Democratic nominee is. Certainly, there's a playbook when you're running against an incumbent, and we saw Derek Van Orden's playbook when he was running against Ron Kind saying Ron Kine's been there too long, Ron Kine's part of the establishment, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this time Derek Van Orden is just going to focus on tying whoever the Democratic nominee is to Pelosi and Biden and maybe hope for an assist in redistricting. Uh, as we saw this week, the, the districts that were rolled out by the Republican-controlled state legislature would move the third district a bit to the right, a bit in the Republican direction. Not overwhelmingly so, but enough to potentially make the difference. So I think Van Orden is of the mindset that he can run a pretty standard campaign and, and probably win because he may get an advantage through redistricting. Yeah, they just eliminated a city. We're going to eliminate Stevens Point. It's way over there. I'm not against eliminating Stevens Point, but make the district because I always call it the bicep district that goes and reaches and grabs every <laughs> UW school you know, in, uh, from Stevens Point to the left, um, uh, ironically to the left, right? Um, but yeah, they just removed Stevens Point, and it, it's just a funny game because they, they added Stevens Point the last time to make the other districts safer. So they're just playing with Stevens Point, which is all a little odd, too. You know, last time around when redistricting was done in 2010, the story goes that Ron, uh, that sorry, Paul Ryan's staff essentially handed the district map for the U.S. House districts in Wisconsin, just handed the map to the legislature, said, here you go, here are the districts, enact them. And the goal was very much to protect the incumbents that were currently in office. And that's something that you commonly see in redistricting, just trying to shore up the incumbents, make sure that they get reelected. That was very much the goal the last time around. And that's exactly why we saw what you mentioned, Rick, the district grabbing Stevens Point to try to shore up the district for Ron Kind. But now Republicans see the political geography changing in Wisconsin, where rural areas are moving more in the Republican direction, where Democratic voters are being more and more concentrated in the cities of Milwaukee and Madison. And so Republicans now are thinking bigger than a five to three advantage in the House delegation. They're thinking six two that they can have two safe districts for Democrats and that they can potentially, the Republicans, win the six remaining districts in the House of Representatives. So we've seen the political landscape shift in the last decade, and that has made the Republicans, I think, more ambitious in how they're trying to use the maps to gain a greater advantage than basically uh, incumbent protection, let's just keep it at a five-to-three split, kind of map that we saw last time around a decade ago. 
All right, that's UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski. I really want to keep going, but I got to get I got to break for your favorite Scott's comment. Uh, Brad, doing the news. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I changed the music up for you, Tregoski. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> Harvey Danger here, Dave Matthews before UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski. We're going to get to the. Uh, my pregnancy, I don't know if they're takes, hot takes, pregnancy hot takes here in a minute, <laughs> but we were talking about, well, first we were talking about congressional candidates, uh, we, Democrats have a bunch, and, and, you know, Republicans aren't, Republicans aren't going to have any more than one, right? Like, is it, why would, why wouldn't there be another person? Okay, first of all, is Brad Path surprised that somebody like Deb McGrath, which, you know, and, and like, no, no offense to Brett Knutson or Rebecca Cook, but they don't have any political ties, right? So there's not like that. But Deb McGrath sounds like kind of like a big hitter. Is, yeah, is- I, I think that's fair to say, Rick, when you look at her family background and when you look at her professional background, her extensive background in national security and in foreign affairs, I think it's fair to say that she's a big hitter and is a real competitor for this nomination. And, and to your point, Rick, you know, there are some candidates that can get in a race and just clear the field, mm-hmm. because no one thinks they would have any chance of possibly beating this particular candidate for the nomination. But there are other candidates that don't really have that ability, based on how they're perceived or based on how other factors related to the election are perceived. So what you've seen is that Derek Van Orden was a field clearer in the Republican side. Like, there's no Republicans who want to jump in that race. There's no Republicans who have any desire to jump into that race for the nomination against Derek Van Orden. And why, why is that? But, is that because, A, he has millions of dollars or a million? I don't know if it's millions of dollars at this point, but there's a big, big piggy bank there. B, is it because he but he lost to Ron Kine? So he his his big claim to fame here is he lost that election. But, I mean, Ron Kine's a, a, a powerful, powerful congressional uh, candidate at that point and an incumbent. But I don't know. Keep going. I guess I interrupted you. No, I, I think I think both. Uh, the fact that he has a ton of money and would be able to easily swamp any candidate who came into the race against him through just sheer power of spending, because there, we know that Derek Van Orden is an extremely effective fundraiser. That's one of his key strengths as a candidate. But also, Rick, the fact that he came so close against Ron Kind and that the race was much closer than expected. It was it was like a, a moral victory in a sense, uh, in the sense that Derek Van Orden was not expected to win, but it was a surprise, the margin. And yep. so that was a show of political strength, especially going into a midterm election with a Democratic president, and we know that that would tend to favor the Republicans. And so I think the logic would go that if Derek Van Orden came very close against Ron Kind in 2020, and then if the political wins tend to favor the Republicans in 2022, then just stick with Derek Van Orden as your guy. Is there some backroom, backdoor, backroom, I always say backdoor, backroom deals where uh, Republicans are like, hey, no, you don't, you're not running. I want to run against Van Orden. No, we're not doing that. Does oh, that happen? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, internal negotiations, internal, you know, dealings about, you know, well, will this person run for this office? Will that person run for that office? So I'm sure there has been some behind the scenes discussion of, 
you know, if they want to go with Derek Van Orden, if they want to consolidate support, if the party should totally unify behind him. I'm sure that that has been a topic of internal discussion. And obviously the outcome of those discussions was, yes, that the party will completely unify behind Derek Van Orden as their standard bearer in the 3rd District this next November. Uh, and clearly because of that, that idea, that helps Republicans because you get to campaign without a challenger the whole time. Because in my, in my head, I want more challengers because I, I want to know how they're going to separate themselves. I want them to be able to defend their views and, and, and cater to the voters, right? I want you to have to cater to the voters against a, a Democrat or a, a fellow Republican you're running against. And then B, to the whole state when you run uh, the statewide portion of the election. Yeah, I think this is a real dilemma for the Democrats right now. Certainly, it's healthy to have competition within a party for the nomination, and that's exactly what the Democrats have with Rebecca Cook, Brett Knudsen, Brad Paff, and now Deb McGrath entering the race for the nomination. But that also means that their focus is not going to be on attacking Derek Van Orden. We know that Derek Van Orden built up quite a bit of popularity in the last election. We know that he built uh, some real strong bases of support. And so I'm sure the Democrats would love nothing more than to just be going after Derek Van Orden, trying to talk about negative aspects of him, trying to drive up negative public perceptions of him. They're not going to really be able to do that as long as they have a highly competitive primary election. So that is a bit of a dilemma for Democrats. You know, how do you define Derek Van Orden in a way that is off-putting to the public while also having a very competitive contest for the nomination on your side? It's going to be a real challenge for them to pull both of those things off. Do you call and frankly, him, I'm not sure they can pull both of those things off. You just call him a Kevin McCarthy puppet, right? Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> isn't he the minority leader in the House? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, no doubt the Democrats have tested out certain lines of attack against Derek Van Orden. I do not believe that they ran a full-fledged negative campaign against him. Uh, they could have gone a lot more negative, more intensely, earlier, and more frequently in 2020 than they did. So I think that they did not unleash everything they had against Derek Van Orden in 2020. But can you unleash the things that you're holding in reserve if your party is sorting out who the nominee will be. It's a big challenge for the Democrats, and and certainly they are itching to run a negative campaign against Derek Van Orden, but that's going to be hard to do as long as there are uh, there are there's a really uh, competitive battle among credible candidates on their side. Uh, we're getting into the weeds here, but is it hard to link Derek Van Orden as a Trump puppet? And then add add like him at being at the Capitol uh, riots in in a part where that was closed off, because if you if you go with he's a Trump puppet because this is what and people why are you doing that well because Derek Van Orden links everyone as a Pelosi puppet so if you link Derek Van Orden as a Trump puppet and this district is what it is that's probably that people might actually like that. That's, that's what I think. And, and Rick, uh, we talk about this a lot, how politicians portray themselves differently to different audiences. This is a great example of how Democrats would do that. So uh, Brad Paff, Deb McGrath, uh, Rebecca Cook, they would absolutely use Derek Van Orden's presence in D.C. on January 6th to fundraise, to generate 
enthusiasm among the base of their party and to generate, most importantly, campaign contributions. But that is not going to be a message that resonates with voters in the middle. It's not going to be a message that resonates with swing voters. It's going to take a different approach there. So uh, just another example of how, you, how you're going to talk about January 6th a lot to the base of your party if you're the Democrats. And you're not really going to talk about that in the general election campaign when you're making appeals to those key swing voters. Also, Derek Van Orden not doing a lot of, hey, I was at the Capitol riots. I was there fighting for Trump. Right. I don't think he's doing that. No, I don't. I I don't think so. And he obviously faces questions about how campaign money was used, what exactly was going on there. I I think that there are some unanswered questions regarding that, that, uh, you know, I I would like to know the answers to just to have a better informed opinion of Derek Van Orden. But, uh, you know, again, the Democrats are going to have a hard time going after him while they have some really strong candidates on on their side. So, uh, you know, I I think that Derek Van Orden's best case scenario is that the Democrats just totally duke it out amongst themselves, leave him alone to consolidate and build support, and then he's sitting pretty coming out of the primary elections next year. I got a text here when we talk about backroom deals and having nobody run against Derek Van Orden so he can just, you know, live live on top. Uh, Bernie got shut down twice. Can't tell me that deals don't get made behind closed doors when it comes to party candidates. Did Bernie get, did Bernie bow out too early, maybe? <laughs> I don't want to spend a yeah. ton of time on this, but... No, no. I mean, you have to distinguish between sort of the public wrangling that took place to get Bernie out of the race versus any behind-the-scenes wrangling that took place to get Bernie out of the race. You know, last time around, I think it was clear that Bernie did not have a path against Joe Biden, that Joe Biden was going to be the nominee, especially with COVID, especially given the states that were upcoming in the process. You know, at, at the point that Bernie dropped out, he just didn't really have a path. But were there internal pressures to get him out of the race? Were there behind-the-scenes pressures to push Bernie out of the race? Oh, oh, no doubt. That's just how political parties work. Uh, all right, moving on from from that to uh, the Senate, a little bit to the Senate and a little bit to the state legislature here with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Uh Ron Johnson has now said uh, it must be uh, more backroom deals, backroom conversations. Uh, hey, Ron, Ron Johnson says, hey, Robin Voss, Assembly Majority Leader, um, instead of having having to do all these election investigations, why don't we just run the elections ourselves as politicians? Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, Ron Johnson, in an interview with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, uh, he also met with GOP legislative leaders. He was talking about having the state legislature essentially take control over all elections in Wisconsin, at least federal and state elections. Now, what was noteworthy about his comments was that Ron Johnson seems to be of the impression that the legislature can take control over elections without having to go through the governor, without having to go through Tony Evers. And that even seemed to be a bridge too far for Robin Voss, who said that, you know, he wasn't really aware of how that could be done is something that he hadn't really studied. Yeah, imagine that, Robin Voss Voss not up to speed. Voss seemed to almost like distance himself a bit from the Johnson talk. Yeah, until until, uh, there's a Republican governor and then they can change all the rules. (laughs) 
<laughs> the last. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and I mean, with a Republican governor, the Republicans will have a lot of power to remake how elections are conducted in Wisconsin. Right now, the veto pen of Tony Evers figures prominently in the calculations here, figures prominently in blocking the Republicans from making the kinds of changes that they want. So I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't know really what Ron Johnson was getting at when he said that the legislature could unilaterally take control of elections without the governor having any input. But certainly the broader goal for Republicans is just to win the election well, for governor next year so they don't even have to worry about that. Well, and that's the whole point of, of this perpetuation that the of the 2020 presidential election being, uh, you know, needing to be investigated because we're all being duped here that this thing needs to be investigated. we got to perpetuate this. We need to do that because, hey, when we get power, we'll take control of the election, elections and this stuff won't happen anymore. That's I mean, it's it's very comical that we all we're getting duped by this stuff and we're not outraged by it. And then also like, yeah, like let's when most of the state agrees that we need nonpartisan uh, a nonpartisan commission to draw maps that the, the Republicans, at least in Ron Johnson's case, says, no, you know what we should do? We should draw the maps and also control the elections because that let's have the government do all the things. Yeah, you know, Rick, I think that with this uh, election situation, we're now over a year past the 2020 election. We're still having these conversations. We saw Mike Gableman, the retired Supreme Court justice, who is involved in the Republican investigation of the 2020 election. We saw him testify before the uh, state legislature this week, giving us some clues of what he's looking into. But certainly, to your point, Rick, laying the groundwork for changes that Republicans might make. And, Rick, we've talked about this. There are legitimate issues with how the 2020 election was carried out. Like, can clerks, can elections officials fill in missing information on absentee ballots? That's a totally appropriate question and one that should be studied. Also, the situation in in Racine with the nursing homes, where elections officials weren't allowed in nursing homes due to, well, the pandemic, and so they weren't able to help the residents of nursing homes fill out the ballots, as would normally be the case. Right. So there are plenty of legitimate issues to bring up regarding this election. We just we got to bring and, them up, Tregoski. We got to bring them up every two months for the next three years. Yeah. We just got to we got to slow drip, yeah. slow drip this investigation. All right, I got to take one more break, and we're going to come back with preg- pregnancy takes here in a minute. <laughs> yes, I know you're hungry. Ah, <laughs> and here comes dinner. <laughs> Kind of perfect. I was kind of curious how this Alice Cooper feed my Frankenstein would start out, but that was kind of perfect uh, as we talk about uh, Brianna Tregoski, pregnant couple. I forgot how many months now. I think I asked on the air and I totally forgot. Yeah, she's about four months pregnant. Four months. Okay, so five months to go. We want to talk about pregnancy cravings. What is so two? We didn't do this last week, but last week the pregnancy craving was a weird. Uh, not even weird. It was just like vegetable trays, right? She yeah, into- it's like those vegetable trays you get if you're having people over to watch a football game or something, you know, with like the carrots and the celery and the broccoli. Yeah. And, and we talked about this, Rick. There's always some weird 
additional vegetable in the vegetable tray that doesn't seem quite appropriate for the veggie tray. Um, but that was her craving uh, last week. And then uh, we, and I'm not being paid to say this, but we, she was craving Senor Via, the Mexican restaurant in La Crosse and on Alaska. Uh, so she was craving Mexican food also. Okay. So is, has that changed now to this week? Have we had anything weird this week that we, you know, like in the vegetable tray is not even that weird, but when uh, the vegetable tray, and then I saw one later and I sent you a picture of it, it had like a little green and red and yellow peppers on it. I'm like, who's eating a green pepper, not even a hot pepper, like a regular, I'm like, who's eating that as part of a vegetable tray? It seems that would be the weird craving if Brianna's like, oh, give me those. I want those peppers. Um, Well, well, here's my, here's my take on that, Rick. Like, I, I, I agree with you that vegetable tray is not strange food, but have you ever like been craving for a vegetable tray? Before? No, did you have like, to? No, did you have to run no. to the store and get a vegetable tray then? Because you don't have one handy. No, and you never have one handy, right? I mean, like, who keeps a vegetable tray on hand just in case they're craving a vegetable tray? Yeah. So, were you uh, headed to the twenty-four hour grocery store to get a vegetable tray? Uh, yep, popped into the Walmart in Alaska. <laughs> Luckily, they had a fine selection of veggie trays available. So, man, your endorsements fall. all over the place. Tragoski's dropping endorsements. Um, all right, what was anything <laughs> weird this week? What was it? What, what was it this week? Anything? Nothing. Nothing this week. But uh, I have been asking every day, both to show that I'm a good husband and also for the bit. All right. This is a terrible, well, this is a terrible unveiling. Good thing I mentioned last week, a terrible unveiling of uh, pregnancy cravings. But I think as we go on, as she becomes uh, closer to the due date, I think the cravings get, I don't, I don't have any experience in this other than uh, being born myself. So I don't know what the cravings, uh, how that works. And this is our first child. This is her first pregnancy. So this will be, I, I guess we're going to learn a lot about cravings this time around. Um, all right, so and, and I only have a couple seconds here, a half a minute here. But uh, you, what you need to do, I think, is you need the video. We have it's we have so much access to video right now. I think you need to be videoing a, a lot of things. Maybe like some of her cravings, because you know what, when when your baby is adult, an adult, it, it, I think it would be awesome for her to be able to go. Oh, really, mom? You wanted a peanut butter and and salami sandwich? It's uh, that, that is what I. You know what I mean? That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she'd be like, Mom, you're super weird for wanting to eat that disgusting sandwich. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So video everything. When she, when you ask her what cravings, like have the phone ready, Chagoski, have it ready to video, and then we can uh, either we can play it on the show, but at least you could play it for your daughter when she's 25 years old. Um, all right, man, yeah, thanks for really. joining. That's going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good weekend.